Hello, and welcome to episode six of Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. Each person we interview suggests a few names of folks we should interview next, passing the baton along from interview to interview, hence the relay part. The essay stands for student affairs because each person I interview is working hard in the field of student affairs in Canada. This is episode six and our last of our first season. I was really excited when Jennifer Hamilton suggested that I interview Sean Van Kunit for the podcast. Sean took over as AVP students and Dean of Students at McMaster shortly after I left in 2013, and I've heard nothing but amazing things about what he's been able to accomplish in a few short years. I first came to know Sean at a caucus presentation where he spoke about his work with Velocity at Waterloo, which just, to, just goes to show that one day you're sitting in someone's conference presentation, and then just a few short years later, you're asking them to sit down for a podcast interview. In any case, I traveled over to Hamilton to chat with Sean, and I was really excited about what he had to say. I think you will be too. Have a listen. Adam Tubin, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay Essay. All right. And we're live. Okay. Sean, how are you? Um... How do I pronounce your last name? Van Kunit. Van Kunit. Yeah. All right, Sean Van Kunit, and what is your role here at McMaster? It's a mouthful. Uh, Associate Vice President, Students and Learning, and Dean of Students at McMaster University. And let's set the scene for our hundreds of listeners. We're in Gilmore Hall at McMaster University on like a dreary kind of March day in your office, which is beautiful. Um, how did you get here? How did I get here? How far back do you want me to, to go? Just my experience at Waterloo, maybe? Birth. Since birth. No, wow. <laughs> Nowhere. I was ever. born? No. Um, actually, I did spend most of my, well, really all my life in Waterloo. Oh, really? Uh, up until I came here. So it was a big shift. But uh, I'd worked in the private sector for about five years after graduating. And then I started at Waterloo. Had um, five different positions over 12 years. Okay. Only some of those in student affairs. Um, so really I didn't this isn't something I would necessarily recommend to students but I didn't have a plan because I, I mean up until the point I got into the working world my uh, my career was basketball I played on the national basketball team played on the varsity team and that's what I did that's what my passion was and uh, so by the time I started working it was just a matter of uh, well learning and, and, and seeing where some challenges the next challenges were and it led me to University of Waterloo where I was in uh uh, I was in the advancement office for a couple of years. I was an assistant registrar for a couple of years. I managed one of the business units. Um, and then while I was doing that, um, I started uh, Velocity, the program for student entrepreneurs. And then uh, when they wanted to start up the student success office at University of Waterloo, I started that. And so when I applied for this role, um, in about three, just about three years ago, almost to the day, at Mac, I had had a lot of different experiences at Waterloo. Uh, had seen a lot of different aspects of the university. Gotcha. And um, and had started a couple things too there related to to student different types of student programming, student service, and a lot of different management experiences. So I threw my hat in the ring. I didn't even think I'd get an interview, and uh, well, must have went okay. That <laughs> I had the same experience when I was applying for my job here at McMaster. I was like, oh, I'll just throw my hat in the ring, and then. Yeah. I mean, a second round interview, I'm like, how is this happening? Yeah, yeah. And how's it going so far? Three years in? It's been a, a whirlwind, uh, you know, the first year, especially new institution, not only new institution, but new role as well. So it was a, 
I was a department head uh, at Waterloo as, uh, when I left there, director of the student success office, so this was at a different level. Right. So um, uh, it was a lot, you know, trying to learn, uh, it was exhausting, really, the first year, exa- not, uh, not in a negative way, sure. but more so just people, culture, um, policies, uh, history, right. trying to take all that in so that you can just begin to formulate what to do next. So that, that first year was, was a lot of learning, mm-hmm. and still is, but it's, uh, now it's a little bit more, how do we move forward? Um, and that's been the past couple of years. So the people here are great, and I uh, moved my family here after my first year. So okay. I, I commuted for the first year. My daughter was finishing grade 12 in Waterloo. Um, so once she finished, we moved. So we've kind of gotten through the move, and it feels like, even though it's it's still a bit of a whirlwind, it's it's a bit more of a settled. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. And so I feel like I first met you, although I didn't meet you, was at a presentation at Caucus. I think you were speaking about Velocity, mm-hmm. and everyone was kind of buzzing about this really special thing that was going on at Waterloo. So how did that come to, to pass? Uh, yeah, so the story there, I guess it was almost uh, about nine years ago now that um, uh, I was sitting at a conference just kind of daydreaming because the speaker wasn't all that enthralling. So uh-huh. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I had been working on another project at, at Waterloo for my, my boss at the time, Bud Walker, um, and it was related to technology uh, in, in the residences. Uh, at that time, there was no Wi-Fi in the residences. They were still getting newspapers delivered at the door. Amazing. That long ago. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, but I, I was thinking about some other things. Somehow... Um, well, actually, one of the things the speaker said and uh, um, prompted me to think of the idea for Velocity, and he said something like, the next innovations, you know, where are they going to come from? No one really knows where. And he was talking in terms of um, things going on in the telecom industry. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, it's probably going to come from, a, say, a student at the University of Waterloo. And then at that time, in 2007, I mean, the iPhone was just about... I think being released, Facebook was starting to take off, Twitter had just been, so there were all these things that were happening, the App Store was just, uh, I think, on the, had just been uh, established, so all these these in, these new innovations were, were happening, and then I thought about how Facebook had come about, and, and um, how many of the other huge brands that we're aware of were essentially started by a 20-year-old. On like the back of a napkin? Yeah. What's, yeah. And, and, and you know, and especially at that time in, in software in the app world, a laptop and an idea, and you can begin to pull something off. So then right. Waterloo, I'd been a student there for both of my degrees. I'd been working there for, at the time, uh, five or six years, and um, understood what the culture of the place was. There was already a lot of entrepreneurship going on. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, um, and, and I, I, in my master's degree, I had studied uh, innovation and how universities uh, contribute to economic development and so I knew a little bit about entrepreneurship and so the light bulb kind of went on for me there which and the light bulb was let's attract uh, and recruit some of our most entrepreneurial students and put them all together in one one environment and an environment that would be fertile ground for innovation and I thought what better um, place to put them but in a residence right so when I went to my boss at the time, Bud Walker, and I, can't, I, I had the idea, and, and he was the one actually who said, well, let's take them to Nodahegi residence, which is uh, the smallest residence on the campus of the University of Waterloo, about 70 beds. And, um, and 
we started talking, I put it together, I, I visited all the deans in the summer to make sure they were okay with the idea, and, uh, and we worked, I worked over the next uh, year to you know, renovate the residence, figure out how we we're going to brand this thing, figure out how we we're going to uh, recruit students, figure out what the program would look like. Uh, and it was basically me doing this on the side while I managed another department. Right. So um, a lot of work, but it ended up, you know, uh, being really a great experience. I remember the first guy who stood up on the first night that we had the residents in there in 2000, fall 2008 was a guy named Eric Mijakowski, mm-hmm. who he is the CEO of Pebble. Okay. So, uh, and he stood up, literally he stood up and said, uh, I have this idea for a watch. It's going to connect to your, at the time, BlackBerry. It's going to connect to your BlackBerry and you're going to get messages on it. And I was sitting there going, ah, I don't know. I don't know if that, 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 that kind of sounds like a goofy idea to me. But obviously that, it worked. So from there, we had lots of other great entrepreneurs come through the program. And, and since, since I left, since uh, even before I left, it's really exploded into something that's gone way beyond the residence environment to bunch of different programs and it's become a, an ingrained part of the culture at Waterloo. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's, I'm really proud of coming up with the idea. I can't take credit for the any, any ex, the success they have now. It's really the team that's taken it and, and run with it uh, since then. And entrepreneurship seems to be kind of your jam a little bit because you've done some stuff here at McMaster since you've arrived too, right? Yeah, well, I mean, entrepreneurship was not in my, it didn't appear in my job description. It didn't appear in our president, Patrick Dean's message to the community called right. Forward Integrity. The word entrepreneurship wasn't in there, but when I applied for the job here and I became more acquainted with um, his letter to the community, really it's been viewed as kind of a strategy or a vision for the university, um, I saw entrepreneurship written all over it because he talked, when he talked about the student experience, he talked about a student experience that was self-directed, interdisciplinary, experiential, and engaged with the community. Right. So for me, that was that was everything I had worked on at Waterloo in the Velocity program as a, a co-curricular, extracurricular entrepreneurship program. It was teams of self-directed students from all disciplines um, working together, uh, forming companies uh, that would in, uh, be engaged with the community in different ways, hopefully establishing those companies in the community and in the process of doing that, linking in with mentors and and uh, entrepreneurs who are in, in, in the community. So that was, I looked at that and went, wow, he, he understands, uh, or what he has understands as a, as a fulfilling university experience is something that totally aligns with the way I see it as well. Right. Um, so Hamilton and McMaster is obviously a very different community than, than Waterloo. Sure. So I don't expect that uh, the same thing will transpire here, but I think, uh, as it did at Waterloo, but I think entrepreneurship's a great vehicle for you know, put put startups aside, and the number of jobs they create, and attracting venture capital. It's the experience students have, trying to develop their own company. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of the things that we all talk about wanting to do with students, developing soft soft skills, and yeah. and forming tight knit communities, and uh, and tapping into students' passion, and providing them with alternative career paths. Uh, there's a, a lot of great things that can result out of entrepreneurship if you do it right. One hundred percent. I think thinking interdisciplinary, thinking with an interdisciplinary mindset too is thinking you need these cross-functional teams to kind of make something happen. You can't just think in isolation, which I've noticed as well. Yeah, I mean, it mimics, I mean, the when you're, of course, out in the quote-unquote real world working, I mean, that's, you know, 
most teams you're going to be honored. You're going to be with people from different backgrounds, different disciplines. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, Mac's pretty good at, we do have programs that, that do encourage that kind of interdisciplinary thought, but it's still not something that um, academic programming does real well. Yeah. Yeah. I also have been noticing more, and one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you as well is about entrepreneurship is, I feel like there's spaces on our campuses that kind of parallel that entrepreneurial mindset around even putting together a club or a group where it's like you notice there is something missing or something that you have to contribute and you gather resources to kind of make it happen and you think about what you what value you have to add. So I'm wondering too if, if the more we kind of name or use the language, which I think a lot of people are scared of because it sounds corporate or businessy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's a good... Um, some consistent language would be useful for us to use in terms of naming it as something that's productive and not just, oh, this thing I happen to do. Like, no, that's entrepreneurial. You're kind of getting yeah. yourself organized. Yeah, and I think some of the stigma attached to the word, the E word, yeah. um, <laughs> has kind of, uh, the stigma's been reduced over time because I remember you know, when I started, you know, eight or nine years ago uh, along this path, um, I'd have to go into, if I was trying to attract art students to it, I, I would not use the word entrepreneurship. I, I, you know, I went into a digital arts class and framed it as, you know, being part of a, a fast-paced startup kind of world where you can, you have the flexibility to be creative and, right. which was the truth, but I, you know, you tried to shy away from that. But common language would help, although I'm not sure if some audiences are totally prepared for it, but I, I do, I think more, more people in society are receptive to understanding that an entrepreneurial mindset can be valuable no matter what you do. If you're in government, if you're in nonprofit, if you're in the private sector, if you're in a big company, small, mm-hmm. everyone is looking for people who can um, think independently and take some smart risks and and be creative and, and do that kind of thing. So, and also just thinking about your experience developing Velocity, like in and of itself was quite entrepreneurial. Which you did, there's not. That's not a story you hear as frequently or in kind of student affairs or in across higher ed is kind of that taking a negative idea and blowing it up to this level that you yeah. got. I think that's the, I mean, the challenge I see, whether you're at Mac or Waterloo or U of T, some universities are better than others at innovating, but we're very good at setting up, as most big organizations are, whether it's a university or in the uh, corporate world. Um, systems and processes to do the same thing over and over again. Right. And so the challenge is how do you shift that behavior and, and do something different and think differently? And the best way that I learned is to, you know, you have to have a separate project where um, you've got a point person that can take that on. So in my case, I happened to figure out a way to take on a separate project, even though I did have a right. day job that I would recommend that to, <laughs> to anyone. But, uh, but yeah, that's a, that can be a struggle. But projects that encourage that, that are entrepreneurial in nature that sit outside the day to day operations of the, the institution are that's the best way I've found to try to move institutions ahead. Yeah. But and as well, I think uh, I enjoy, and this is not a criticism of the academic uh, affairs aspects of the university, which are core and essential, obviously, to what we do, but. Um, there's a little more flexibility when you lie outside that realm. Sure. You don't have, as at least here and where I was at Waterloo, the, the types of processes and systems that you have, the hoops that you have to jump through to get right. things done. So Velocity came up through the housing environment. 
right. which is that's one of the, the best. I mean, they, there's a you can develop business plans in a residence environment where they're can actually generate funding if you need some to sure. do things, and and there's a a life in residence life that you know from the staff there and from the students that you can you can draw energy from that type of thing. So I'm a huge fan of the housing environment and the mm-hmm. things that you can do there. Um, to innovate within a student life context. Very cool. So I have a list of questions here. One of them was around what's going on in student affairs at McMaster? My, my question actually is, when, if we were to look back, when historians look back at this age, <laughs> <laughs> McMaster student affairs, what will it be, how will it be remembered oh, and characterized? Geez. Oh, gosh. Well... And this age, I mean, I mean, if you look back at this time, you know, and probably going back before I arrived in 2013, but say this decade, um, this is really, I mean, part of what you'll see, and I think what you'll see at, uh, so one of the things you'll see here that is not unique to Mac is our, our ability to wrestle with issues around mental health. Right. And how we think about mental health and how that thinking and philosophy then translates into how we serve our students, support our students. Right. So uh, I think we still got a long way to go. Um, but um, I think that'll be one of the things where you say, well, you know, if you look at, say, 2020, the year 2010 to 2020, you're going to look back and say they're much better positioned to um, support students. And I think the bigger shift that might is going to go way beyond 2020 is how we actually um, deliver an experience that is accessible to students no matter what their um, uh, I'll use the word disability in this context but a mental health disability sure we've changed the way we assess we've changed the way we deliver courses we've changed and that's a rethink of a lot of what we do both inside and outside of the classroom mm-hmm. But I think more specifically to Mac, um, some of the things that are changing, we are going to be building a $120 million living learning center, residence space, classroom space, student service space. Whoa. Um, when is that happening? The, well, if everything goes as planned, we'll break ground this fall. And where is that going? That's going across, well, it's T28, T29 buildings. Oh. So, yeah. It's okay. going to be a... Uh, hopefully it will be a very unique building because I'm not sure there's too many that have classrooms, student service space, and residence space in one building. And actually, we're cramming a daycare in there, too. No, I was going to ask. <laughs> when there's new spaces, everyone's like, what else can I put Yeah, well, Yeah, because we had committed to the daycare that was taken down when right. we put up the Wilson building. Um, we, we have to put that in there, too. So we're creating uh, separate entrances there so students and, and you know children don't get mixed up. But intergenerational learning is all the rage that's now. Right. So you can... Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that should be that. That will symbolize hopefully our commitment to students, and I think hopefully this year if things go well. I mean, we'll be looking at different. Um, there's a, different ways to expand space. Is huge. I mean, if, to me, the value of students coming to university there's tremendous value, and obviously what they learn, but the environments you create. Yes. to have that learning happen. I mean, you can't do it without well-designed functional space. Um, and it's even more difficult in a university like this where we've got really old buildings that weren't necessarily designed for the type of university experience we need today. And pretty clear boundaries, right? Like, like this campus is pretty pretty tight. 
I mean, you've got yeah. Coots Paradise, you've got the the community that kind of really shapes it. Yeah. I guess there's some stuff happening downtown more, but... Yeah, that's... I We're, we're at capacity. Yeah. We can't enroll any more students, really, than what we have now. Um, the Living Learning Center will allow us to do a little more of that, but, gotcha. uh, yeah, we are confined to, to our boundaries. I think the LRT going in... Mm. Uh, between, I forget what it is, 2019 or something, and, and 2022, 2024, that'll, you know, a decade out or so, that'll right. change things, be the ability to go from downtown across that 403 and, and get from Westdale to downtown and vice versa is going to change students' ability to, to, say, go from a Westdale campus to maybe something that's more of a critical mass of academic sure. student buildings oh, cool. downtown. So I think if I was predicting, and this is not written in any kind of master plan, so my personal opinion that 10 years or so from now, it's going to be the downtown area where Mac creates even a bigger presence than what we have now. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Wow, so just a few little projects happening on campus. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> been an interesting two and a half years since I've been here. Oh, sure. man. Um, universities, think, people think universities move slowly, but there's there's a lot going on. There always is in any campus that you, you go to. And like large, complex things. It's not just building yeah. a building. It's, there's space and parking are like the most contested things <laughs> on any campus. So yes. when you've got yes. eyes on a new project, then I'm sure that's a lot of committee meetings yeah. to make plans or proposals for plans for committees. Yes, and, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, okay. Just to shift gear. Okay, I've got two more questions. Sure. Um, maybe three if I, if I may be so bold. Um, do your non-student affairs friends understand what you do? Uh, on a very superficial level. Okay. I think, I think they, they kind of, and I have a lot of uh, friends who are teachers too. Okay. So think they probably look at it as kind of a uh, vice principal type job. Like sure. You deal with a lot, and you do deal with some problematic issues with students, and I think they, so I, the way I try to explain it, because they won't listen to me for more than, say, 15 to 20 seconds, and I do, <laughs> I do say, yeah, you're dealing with, you know, it's, it's a combination of, of urgent kind of day-to-day situations that you have to manage, and then really long-term planning yeah and it's you have to and there's stuff in between obviously too yeah but um it's it's impossible to paint a full picture i think of, of what goes on in student affairs unless you you know you need to spend you know a month shadowing different types of people and jobs in student affairs to really understand the yeah. complexities well and to your point it's like the the daily i call it the whack-a-mole like it's that yeah. game and then you're dealing with that stuff and then also you're con- like thinking like what does learning mean and what does like <laughs> how do we maximize that and create environments that really encourage that yeah so you're and everything in between yeah it's super complex i think that's part of the challenge just making room for some of the even in my my role which is you know supposed to be more focused on some of the longer term stuff right it often is you know you do end up playing whack-a-mole more often than you, than you want. Oh, man. Um, so, if I Googled your name... <laughs> oh, oh, oh Well, first of all, there's some really amazing photos that come up, Sean, <laughs> from your basketball days. I had hair, didn't I? Yeah. I was like, is that Sean? That's yeah, yeah. amazing. That's what this job does to you. Um, so, I've, the, and the two things that came up from that Google search that I actually wanted to ask you about is, is basketball, and if there are any connections from... 
your basketball life to student affairs life and if there are connections. You mean what I learned? Yeah, or is yeah, is student affairs like basketball at all, or is it? it can be, yeah. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I mean, playing on I, I didn't recognize what I acquired from those experiences and, until kind of much later in my career. Gotcha. I just took it for granted that you know everyone knows kind of how to work in a team because that just that was my that wasn't. That was my entire upbringing was, work, was playing team sports. Hmm. So basketball, yeah, I mean, I've been playing at a high level. Um, uh, it's not just playing the sport, but um, being driven and... And, and disciplined. And, and disciplined yeah. and dedicating yourself fully to something. Um, that, that just, uh, whether it came naturally or whether, I think it both came naturally and then it was reinforced through my experiences with, you know, especially playing varsity and playing on the national team. Um, and that kind of, those qualities really help you in, well, in any career, but in student affairs, especially where you're pulled in a lot of different uh, yeah. directions and, and you've got to work on, you know, the number of different teams that you're on and people that you're working with. I mean, it's, again, it sounds cliche, but you can't, can't be successful in this role or in many student affairs roles unless you really understand how to work with people and bend when you need to and, gotcha. and communicate and do all those things that, that we talk about doing. It's, it's, we can talk forever about doing those things, but it's actually being able to, hour after hour, yeah. meeting after meeting, be able to demonstrate that to people that you want to work with them and you want to listen to them. And is there an equivalent of like down to the last second, like the thing you see in all the movies, like you've got to take the jump <laughs> shot, the three-pointer, that'll yeah. win the game. Is there like an equivalent uh, to that? I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe from time to time, uh, you know, there's there's maybe the odd, there's key, key moments where you're making a presentation that if you hit the mark, it, it could change a person's view or opinion that, that's going to make a decision about, you know, a budget allocation or... Right. And so I think you can kind of make some of those comparisons. Right. I mean, when you're playing a sport, though, you, you have potentially an opportunity. Those pressure moments happen, you know, once a week where you, okay, now's the time to perform. Um, it's just a little more difficult to identify those moments uh, when you're working you know, thousands of hours a year. You're, there might be a few of those hours every year where you're like, yeah, that was where things turned or that made the difference. Yeah. But I would say there is some similarities to that, yeah, operating under pressure. Oh, man. Oh. Um, one of the other things that came up, if you Google Sean Van Kunit, is the Wilson Scholarship. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So tell me more about that, and what, is, what yeah. does that mean for you? And Yeah, that's an exciting project that so Red Wilson, who's been a generous donor to the institution here, and mm-hmm. got the L.R. Wilson Hall going up, uh, should be opening this fall. It better open this fall. We're putting glasses <laughs> in there this fall. Oh, um, <laughs> so hopefully it is. Uh, he he's really uh, supportive and wants to try to nurture leadership among young people in Canada. He's really um, focused on Canada. He started out in the public service mm-hmm. and later became he was uh, chairman of BCE, which is the parent company for Bell. So right. he's had a hugely successful career. So he there's a a conversation that had gone on, I believe, for a couple of years with our president, Patrick Dean, mm-hmm. um, about this concept of how to develop leaders. And uh, so this fall is when um, Patrick asked me to lead the what's now called the 
Wilson Leadership Scholar Award. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just an award. It is it's it's it is uh, fifty thousand bucks, so twenty five thousand per year for two years for students entering their last two years of their undergrad. But the money is really well. It's important, but it's almost secondary. It's actually leadership development. So what I really like about this program, it, it gives us an opportunity to do something that is hard to do in an institution with. 20 or 30,000 students, right. which is how do we personalize a leadership development program just for you right. that caters to your passions, your interests, your stage of development. So there's a component there around mentorship where we're going to figure out who you are, where you want to go, what your interests are, and we're going we're gonna to connect you with the people that can help you get there. We're going to design experiences for you, and specifically between your third and fourth year that, again, cater precisely to where you think you want to go Very in life. Cool. Um, so there's a mentorship component, there's the experience component. Throughout the, the third year and fourth year, academically, we're going to bring in people to talk about different issues. Um, and it's really, it is focused on developing leaders who are going to make an impact on Canada in the future. And it could be in any, it could be in, uh, in business, it could be in politics, it could be um, in, in a lot of different sectors, so, and, and addressing lots of different issues. So that's that's uh, one of the more enjoyable parts of the, the job, just because it's it's new and it and you feel like you're you're going to make a an impact on on people's lives that way. So, um, the we're actually going to have selection day. We've been doing interviews. We'll have the first three, and it's only three a year. Okay. Um, wow. So the first three will be selected within a couple of, couple of weeks, and then we'll have six steady stakes. We'll have three starting in September. They'll carry on in their second year. The following fall, we'll have a new three coming on. Very cool. We have a house just off campus that uh, we're going to use. They're not going to live there yet, but I think down the, in the future they're going to actually live in the house. Whoa! Um, and it's just, but it's just a central gathering place for this uh, gotcha. this group. So it's really exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. It looked even just from looking at the website, it looks really different. Even the application, the lines just, just tell us your story. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty great. Because I think there's also something to be said about shifting how we consider leadership. And I also like that in the description that it's like, you might have lots of positions. You might also just have a really great moral character. And that might be where you're coming from. So it's not necessarily about, here's my huge CV. Yeah. But here's what I'm bringing to exactly, the table. Exactly. Exactly. So Red and, and uh, Pete Sharp was the president of the foundation. We talked to them. And, and again, we aligned totally on how they saw leadership. And it was really... You know, we need to get to know these students, and it's not about, not to say that CVs aren't important, but it's really, we need people of character, of an integrity, who have certain values, um, uh, and have, you know, there, there's intangible things like what the, the presence you have and the maturity you have that can right. be developed over time, sure. but we want to see kind of that leadership spark in you, Yeah. and we don't want, at least in the beginning, to pay too much attention to the CV and get uh, distracted by the fact that you might have eight things on your resume. We are going to look at the CV down the line. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, it was let's let's screen for people who we think are going to have those types of values. So it tells a story about yourself that inspires you. That was the question. That's so cool. Oh, amazing things. Yeah. So lots of great things going on. So I have to wrap up some rapid fire questions. All right. Here we go. No pressure. I, uh, I always give long-winded answers, so rapid fire questions. <laughs> um. Sean, what is something folks would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, God. I have five kids. Five kids? Sweet Marie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a theme song that would play every time you entered into a room, what would you want it oh to be? Oh, God. Theme song. 
Oh, jeez. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Let me think. Uh, you would play... Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything. Anything I come up with will be... I said, the Rocky theme song. I don't oh, know. that's good, though. My, I said Miley Cyrus <laughs> for mine, so anything. I have the tiger. I, have the tiger. I support that. Uh, <laughs> what was the last book you read? The last book I... Oh, I read... Uh, I just finished uh, Cartel. It was about Mexican drug cartels. Oh, wow. Don Winslow. Okay. Um, and if you would start a podcast, what would it be about, and what would it be called? Oh, actually... Um, I like the topic of leadership and, and the different forms that can take. So, yeah. um, Very cool. I don't know what I'd call it. Leadership with Sean? Leadership. <laughs> we can just workshop it. We'll put a pin in it. Yeah, come back yeah, to maybe it. Maybe something a little more creative. Um, and so, you know, also know the theme of this uh, podcast is that it's kind of like a baton that get pa- gets passed mm-hmm. along. So Jen Hamilton suggested you mm-hmm. as someone she was curious to learn more about right. through this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's anyone you'd like to name as people that I should approach to interview next, or if you want to think about it. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, someone that I just, uh, come to know a little bit better my two and a half years in this role is, uh, Janet Morrison at York. Okay. Who's, I believe her title there is vice provost student. So, okay. um, she does a lot of interesting things at York and very, very, uh, sharp and dedicated and mm-hmm. some great things over there in a different type of institution than for sure. a Mac or Waterloo. Um, so that'd be one person. Um, another person, I'll just say is another Mac uh, person here because he comes from such a different background than any student affairs professional I know, and that's Glenn Grunwald, who's our, who I hired as uh, Director of Athletics and Recreation. Okay. He was experienced as the General Manager of the Toronto Raptors Great. and the New York Knicks. And uh, his perspectives are interesting just because he came from a pro sports background. Right. Now to come into a student affairs uh, um, uh, job and how he sees the differences there. and it's So he's got a unique perspective. So there's a couple people off the top of my head. That's amazing. I Thank you for those suggestions. I will follow up with them. Those are really good options. Okay. That's, that's pretty much it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And... So there it is. Big thank you to Sean for the time he devoted to the interview. I know he's a very busy guy, but he didn't even think twice about committing some time to chat with me. You can connect with Sean on Twitter. His handle is at Sean, S-E-A-N underscore V-K. Mine is Adam, at Adam Q-N, A-D-A-M-K-U-H-N. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me and let me know what you think. As always, if you have someone you think I should talk to, please don't hesitate to let me know. So that is it. There you have it. Our final episode of our first season of Relay SA. And we're already working on interviews for season two. I want to thank the folks who jumped in and agreed to be interviewed without even really knowing what this whole Relay SA thing was about. Specifically, Jen Gonzalez, Darren Fernandez, Jennifer Hamilton, Atifa Kareem, Megan Lau, Christine Adam, and Sean Benkunet, of course. Also, I need to thank Adrian Ross for supplying the amazing theme music. Next season, I look forward to covering more ground outside of the GTA. My goal is to interview at least one person from each province. I'm hoping to catch a few people at caucus in Winnipeg, so look out. You might just be my next target. My goal is also also to include some more voices from colleges, as well as some more faculty and students. In short, I'm looking forward to chatting with lots more people from many more institutions across Canada with lots and lots of different perspectives. Last, but most definitely not least, I want to thank you for listening. 
I hope you've enjoyed the conversation so far, and I hope that you come back to Relay Essay when we pick up next season. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.